Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Part of a church that is alive serving a God that's alive, amen? You know, when I hear about the testimonies and I hear about all the things that God is doing, I'm just reminded that, uh, man, all of our lives matter. And God is doing something in every life and in every family and every relationship and every friendship and every home. And if we can just open our eyes to see, you know, how blessed that we can truly be. Um, This morning, I want to talk to you guys about turning our lives around about turning our lives around. I believe that uh, some of us right now are in a place where our lives need to be turned around. I believe that some of us can think back not too long ago to when we needed our lives turned around. And uh, you can look at this as fortunate or unfortunately, many of us will be in a place where our lives need to be turned around again uh, in the not too distant future. I believe that Uh, This word and this message about turning our lives around is going to be a blessing to each and every one of us, but it's also going to be a blessing that we can share with others about their lives being turned around and about God turning things around for them. If you're not going through it now, you will. If you're not going through it now, you know someone who is. It might be someone we meet at the park today. It might be a coworker. It might be a friend or family member, but I think it's going to be important. So I want to just uh, seal it and and, uh, initiate it with prayer if we could. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house, allowing us to worship you and lift our voices up. Lord, we thank you that we have a body and a fellowship and a congregation to come to and to encourage one another, to love one another, to stir up the love that you place within us, Lord God. We ask that you would help us to hear your word this morning, Lord, that we remember that you turn things around, Lord. You call the things that uh, do not exist into existence, Lord God. You take us from the places where we are, where we're downtrodden and we're overwhelmed, Lord, and we're consumed by things, Lord, and you turn that around for us. You give us hope. You give us destiny. You give us purpose. You give us a future and a hope. You give us vision, Lord God. Why not us? Why can't we go and change the world, Lord, overseas and here at home, Lord? Why can't our families be changed, Lord? Why can't our relationships be restored and be healed, Lord God? There's nothing that's too difficult for you, Lord. There's not one of us that are too far gone or outside of your reach. Your arm is long, Lord God. You know exactly where we are. You know what our circumstances are, Lord God. And you hope and you have a desire that our lives would be turned around, Lord. You take no pleasure in our suffering. You you take no pleasure in our difficulties. You take no pleasure in us being overwhelmed or anxious or depressed, Lord, or losing, Lord. You want us to have all that you have provided for us, Lord God. You want us to see all of your goodness, Lord. You want us to receive all of your gifts, Lord, that you have for us, God. This morning we came, Lord, into your house and into your presence, hoping just to see you just a little bit more clearly, Lord. Turn things around for us, Lord. Let us truly leave in a different way than we came in, Lord God. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with joy inexpressible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So turning our lives around, uh, I have a picture from September of 2016. Two years ago this month, uh, I was thinking about as we enter into September of 2018, I was reminded of this series and it marked a turning around, essentials. It marked a turning around or a redirecting of many things in this church. We were looking at how busy we get. And our calendar, we've got, you heard about it this morning. So Tuesday night, the women are going to be here. Wednesday night, the youth have service. Wednesday night, the adults have service. Uh, Today, we're going sidewalk sanctuary. On Saturday, we have the couples getting together. I'm getting tired just thinking about it. (laughs) 
They're all good things and they're all important things. And Gary said it, we've got to invest into our relationships, right? It's not just going to get better because we want it to. It gets better because we invest into it, right? And we pray into these things. But two years ago in September, we did this series called The Essentials. And we wiped everything else off of the calendar. And we just looked at what, what turned out to be the Reformation and these essential areas of our faith. Grace alone, faith alone, the word alone, the word alone, Christ alone, right? We sing a song through Christ alone, right? So as we get into the message this morning, I had this pop up on, on uh, my Facebook reminder of where we were two years ago. Some of us are still close enough to, to not being uh, saved where some of those reminders are like, oh, was that me just a year ago, two years ago? Oh, God, let me delete this. But there's also things like this that pop up. I'm like, man, remember where we were a year ago? Remember where we were two years ago? And uh, I think we clearly saw some things uh, as we looked at what matters most. You know, sometimes when you get into the busyness of your life, you get into the busyness of the church, we can lose sight of what actually matters the most, right? We get so busy doing what we're doing that we forget why we're doing it. Somebody say amen. amen. So what we looked at this series was, why are we doing what we do? Then you can get back to the busyness if you're rooted, if you're grounded, if you have like that time of, of rest. It was a great month for, uh, for many of us. You can leave that up, uh, Ray, but it says here, this is a to uh, quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. What that means is, hey, we all come in here and we have social religion. We're all together. We're doing communion. We're lifting up songs. We're raising our hands. But how is that really great? How is that really perfected? It's perfected when your individual private religion is purified. When you have those times, like Gary mentioned, where you're at home and you go upstairs to the upper room to spend some time with the Lord, even though you're tired. You see what, see what I'm saying? Right? When you have a private devotional life, that makes the public devotional life so much greater and so much more impactful, so much more full. When we gather here on Sundays, when we gather here on Wednesdays, it's a culmination of what we're experiencing individually throughout the rest of the week. If you come to church and that's the only church you have, that's the only spiritual time you have, that's the only time you lift up your voice in praise and worship, it's the only time you get into the word of God, it's the only time that you actually pray or pray with somebody, then we've missed it. That's the social religion, which is supposed to be perfected by your private religion, your private relationship with God. Imagine all of us coming filled with the word all week, filled with prayer all week, filled with overcoming and the battles and challenges, but we've seen Jesus, all of us. And then when we get together, I love meet and greet. We're hugging, we're running around the church, we're smiling. But what we should be bringing is our experience with the Lord throughout the week. It's essential. It's not a possible or, or an add-on or it's nice if you could do that. No, it's essential to the work that the Lord wants to do. Preparing our hearts, preparing our minds. So how is that going to apply this morning to turning your life around? This last Wednesday night, um, I said that we can choose to be happy. And I think it really hit home for some people because a couple people called me or texted me. My own wife, we were on the way home, and she said, you said something tonight that really like, touched me. You said that we can choose to be happy. She said, I forgot about that. We have uh, a choice in the matter if we're going to be happy or unhappy. If we're going to be encouraged or discouraged, if we're going to be faithful or unfaithful, and we have the power of God alive within us to help us uh, not just make a choice, but see it come to fruition. Choosing to be happy. I'm not talking about self-help this morning. <laughs> I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, right? Somebody will tell you, hey, here's how you're going to be happy. If you just do these eight, nine, ten things and you do them every day, you're going to be happy. You know what? You need to have positive thinking. Stop thinking about the negative and start thinking about the positive. That's not what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. I want to talk about faith. Amen. Not just faith as we've known it, because many people of faith, many Christians, we have this perspective or this idea or what we've been taught or what we've been led to believe faith is. I don't even want to talk about that kind of faith. I want to talk about the faith we've been learning about on Wednesday night. 
The kind of faith that, like Gary said, you only get through two verses in two weeks. Because we got a lot to learn. <laughs> We've got a lot to see that we haven't seen before. That kind of faith is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about faith in action, not just faith that's conceptual, right? Oh, I, I see it now, and I understand it, and, and that makes a lot of sense, and that's faith. And now I, now I can conceive it in my mind. No, who cares what you conceive in your mind if you can't actually put it into action in your life, in your walk? in your trials and in your tribulations. Faith in action, real faith, the faith that we've been learning about, the faith of scripture. So the title of the message this morning is The Eyes of Faith. The Eyes of Faith. Turning our lives around. What is it that we actually see? When you look at the world, when you look at your life, when you look at your circumstances, when you look at people, what do you see? Are you seeing with the eyes of faith? Whatever the worst thing you've got going on right now, do you even see it with the eyes of faith? When we talk about turning our lives around, we talk about choosing to be happy. You know, many of us experience that on a daily basis. You'll be having a great day and things will be going well. And then within a minute, something could happen and you're in the dumps. (laughs) Do you see it with the eyes of faith, though, that you can just stop and say, I'm going to choose to come out of this? I was having a pretty decent day on Friday. I began to have some struggles towards the evening, and it just got the best of me for a little while. But then you know what happened on Saturday morning? I woke up and I said, you know what? I choose to be happy today. I choose to enjoy my family today. I choose not to waste the one long weekend that I get for a holiday every once in a while. I had to choose and make up my mind to do that. I had to look at and see my situation and see my day and see the trials through the eyes of faith. How many of us have been practicing that? It's a skill that that you have to practice. (laughs) You have to develop it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of of our faith. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We have to lay aside sin. We have to lay aside weights. We have to lay aside anger. We have to lay aside anxiety. We have to lay aside frustration. We have to lay aside bitterness. We have to lay aside unforgiveness. We have to lay all those things aside and do what? Look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We're talking about faith this morning. It's saying, listen, it's not that you don't have sin and it's not that you don't have burdens. What it is is that you have to lay them aside and focus your attention on Jesus. Lay those things aside and focus your attention on Jesus. Choose to be happy. Choose to focus on him. I understand that we also have an adversary and we have an enemy And he makes fixing our eyes on Jesus, and he makes choosing to be happy very difficult to accomplish at times. I can tell you that this morning. We can get excited about it. Yes, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. But then there's that devil (laughs) that makes it hard, that makes you tired, that makes you frustrated, that makes you angry with people. Have you ever noticed that people can say nice things and good things and be encouraging, and you forget about it within a minute? But let somebody say something you don't like. Let somebody say something mean or arrogant or prideful or, or just inconsiderate. And have you noticed that you can't stop thinking about it? Yeah. You wake up in the morning, jump in the shower, and that thought just comes to you like what they did and what they said. Why is that? It's called the enemy. He likes to bring those things to our remembrance. So it is not easy to lay those things aside. It's actually quite difficult. Would you be honest with me this morning? How many of you find it difficult in the middle of your trials, in the middle of frustrations, in the middle of maybe things you've done or people who have done things to you? How many of you find it difficult to just lay those things aside and and fix your eyes on Jesus? Anybody? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for being honest. So I have a quote for you guys. It's from one of the greatest conversations that was ever recorded. This conversation was between the great Anthony Hopkins and the great Tom Cruise. In Mission Impossible, it says, they're having this conversation, and he says to, Anthony Hopkins says to Tom Cruise, 
This is not mission difficult. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. He comes to him and he says, here's what I need you to do. And he says, I don't know if I could do it. It's going to be difficult. Abdi says, so you mean it's going to be hard? You mean it's going to require maybe more than you've ever given before? He said, yes. He says, you mean it's going to be difficult? Tom Cruise says, yes, it's going to be extremely difficult. He says, well, listen, this is not mission difficult. It's mission impossible. Difficulty should be a walk in the park for you. We are saved by the creator, the almighty God, and then we are filled with his spirit. So difficult should be a walk in the park for us. It doesn't matter how hard it is to lay it down. It doesn't matter how difficult it is to fix your eyes on Jesus. If you focus on the fact that you have Jesus and that he's alive and that he saved you and that he wants you to be joyful and filled with his spirit, we can overcome difficult situations. Why are we constantly downtrodden and overwhelmed by difficulty when we should be overcoming it through Christ? Everybody could raise their hand and say, I find it difficult to lay it down and to fix my eyes on Jesus. Well, good thing (laughs) that it's not mission difficult. Good thing that it's mission impossible. These movies are focused on this group of secret agents called the IMF, the Impossible Mission Force. (laughs) That's what they're actually called. This morning, I want you to consider yourself as a member of IMF. But it's not just the impossible mission force. It's that nothing is impossible for me through faith. IMF. Nothing's impossible for me through faith. Same is true of you. If you have faith, if you understand faith, if you really know what faith is, nothing's impossible. The things that are the hardest for you right now, imagine they could be the easiest. Those that you can't forgive, the things you can't get over, the things that you struggle with, can become the easiest things for you through faith. Hebrews 11.1 says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We talked about this a lot on, on Wednesday night. Faith is not confident wishing. Faith is not having hope in things happening just because you really, really want them to happen. That's how a lot of Christians live. That's how a lot of regular people live. But it's sad that a lot of Christians live that way. We think faith is just like, I really, really want this to happen, so it's going to happen. I really wish that it would happen. I really think God wants me to have this, so it's just going to happen. No, we're not talking about wishes and just confidence and things unfolding in a great way for you or a great way for me. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is about substance and evidence. Faith is real. Faith is tangible. Faith is something you can reach out and grab a hold of. Faith is something that has to be active in your life. Faith is not wishing. Faith is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's not only the author and finisher of our faith, but he's the substance and evidence of it. Right? It said, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of your faith. Right? Being the author means you were there when it started and you began it, you wrote it. Being the finisher means that you're there at the end. Jesus is the author and the finisher. But when I tell you that Jesus is also the substance and the evidence, that's the middle part. See, a lot of Christians are like, Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. He saved me, and at the end, he's going to take me to heaven. But Jesus is also supposed to be the everyday substance and evidence of your faith. We have to see him every day. We have to fix our eyes upon him every day. The same miraculous work that he did to author your salvation and the same miraculous work that he's going to do to finish your salvation, right? or to finish your faith, he's do, he wants to do a miraculous work of substance and evidence today in your faith. We have to fix our eyes upon him. We have to overcome the difficulties. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that, because of this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yes, I always tell you guys that there's no exception for being in the word of God. If there's one thing that you guys have probably heard from me more over the course of the last 10 years than anything is that there's no exception for being in the Word of God. You can sing all you want to sing. You can talk about Jesus all you want to talk about Him. You can go to church every single Sunday, every single Wednesday. You can listen to worship music in your car. You can have apps with messages. But if you will not read the Word of God, you are going to suffer. You are going to struggle. There's no exception for it. 
There's no alternative. There's no substitute. One thing I've learned a lot about since going vegan is that there's a ton of substitutes. <laughs> Can't drink regular milk anymore, I got almond milk, cashew milk, oat milk, ton of substitutes. Can't eat chicken anymore, so there's like chickenless chicken this, chickenless chicken that. There's a substitute in our lives for everything now. <laughs> but when it comes to the word of God, there is no substitute. You want chickenless chicken. <laughs> you want church without the word. You want a deep relationship with God without reading his word. There is no substitute. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, we need to read the word of God. It illuminates who Jesus is so that we can see him and actually fix our eyes on him. Does that make sense? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Life is in him, and that life is the light of men and women. What that means is this. When you read the word of God, it's like shining a spotlight on Jesus. And when the spotlight is on him, you can actually fix your eyes on him. If you don't read the word of God, you can't really see him clearly. You're looking over here like, oh, God, I love you. He's like, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. This is me. Read the word so you can have it illuminated and then fix your eyes on me. I'm the author and finisher of your faith. There's no substitute for that. My word, the word of your favorite pastor, the word of your favorite online or radio ministry, the favorite worship team that you have, there's no substitute. There's no substitute. He says, fix your eyes on me, but we can't if we don't know what he looks like and know what he sounds like, know what his touch feels like. <clears throat> so I want to remind you about the word this morning, but more than that, it's not just the written word, it's the voice of God that we should also be seeking. See, the word was written, but it was first spoken. And we serve the God who still speaks. Everything that's written is what he said to somebody at some point. Does that make sense? Somebody say amen. It's not like the book just fell out of heaven and landed. It was like, hey, here's what I wanted to write to you. No, he spoke it to people. And then they wrote down through inspiration of the Holy Spirit what God spoke to them. God is still speaking. Right? When, when, when Gary says that he came in here and he had a plan, I got my planner, I got my journal, I got my Bible, I got a list of prayers that I need to talk to you about, Lord. And then he came walking into the church and he could have sat down on Friday night and began to talk to God about those things, but God spoke to him. No, I don't want to talk to you about that stuff right now. I have something else I want to talk to you about because he's the God who speaks that's substance and evidence for now, not author and finisher of before and later. We come to praying in the Spirit to hear from God. We come and we speak in a heavenly language and we press in and we overcome fear and we overcome difficulty because it's not mission difficult, it's mission impossible. It's difficult to come into a room and begin to speak in tongues and begin to pray in tongues and begin to do something that you've never done before in your whole life and it's always seemed crazy and strange to you and weird to you. But it ain't mission difficult, it's mission impossible. Get over it. Why? Just so we could say we did it? No, because we're expecting that as we do what his word says to do, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that he will speak to us because he's the God who speaks. And that will turn our lives around and turn our situations around, turn our circumstances around. Came in excited, left out crying. But they weren't tears of sadness, they were tears of joy because I encountered the living God. Or do we just want to come to church once a week? With these upcoming things that you heard Gary mention, all this stuff, but specifically with me going back to school, I'll be honest with you, I have a couple of um, challenges. The biggest is, there's a scripture that says, what begun in the spirit, are you so foolish to think that it will be completed in the flesh, right? So I wanna make sure that what God has been doing in my life and what he's been doing in this church, I'm not going to school um, so that we can change the church, 
going to school so that I can know the Lord better and enter into a further, deeper relationship with him so that you guys can have an opportunity to enter into a further, deeper relationship with him. So one of the challenges is, Lord, don't make this an academic thing that is a spiritual thing. Do we have to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go deeper. Just like I tell all of you guys, the same is true for me, right? But it's all about what you want to do and how you want to move in people's lives, Lord. So don't let me ever forget that, right? You get a degree, another degree, you get a master's, you put that plaque on your wall. No, it's not about that. Amen. If people aren't getting saved, if people aren't getting filled with the Spirit, then that's a wasted education. Amen. So that's one thing I'm praying about. The other thing I'm praying about is, Lord, people got to step up. I'm not going to be here all the time. I'm not going to be leading every ministry. I'm not going to be on every outreach. I'm not going to be at every prayer service. I'm not going to be all these places. So, Lord, you got to speak to people. People who are waiting for you to speak to me need to stop waiting and they need to hear from you. People who can't go without somebody holding their hand, they need to learn how to walk with your hand. People who don't want to follow and want to do their own thing, they need to start doing your thing. And it's scary for me. Because I'd rather be like, Lord, I'm just going to keep doing it and keep doing it and just make sure that I'm there. No, 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 no. See, what's, what's perfected in social religion is purified in your individual religion. Huh? You got to get there. There should be some people stepping up right now and they should be thinking to themselves, this is my opportunity to go and do something for Jesus, to get involved in something, to lead something, to support something. But you got to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you. We come into worship to lift up our voices and praise God, but it's in hopes that he'll speak back to us. How many of you, when you're worshiping, are thinking, God, I'm singing songs to you in hopes that you'll put a song in my heart, in hopes that you'll put something in my mind, in hopes that you'll make my heart skip a beat and flutter? You remember when, like, you were their age and used to write letters to a boy or to a girl? (laughs) Do you remember what that felt like? Like, you would write the letter, but as you were writing, how many of us, I remember writing letters to Mary. As I'm writing, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to love that when she, oh, oh, wow. Wait till she read. Oh, this line right here. Let me make it. I'm going to write it twice so it's bold. Why? Because we're not only thinking about what we're writing to them, we are anticipating the response that's going to come back. Look at you kissing over there. I saw it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what worship is supposed to be. We're not just singing a song. We're anticipating when he hears me say this. Oh, Wait till he responds back and tells me how much he loves me too. It's like the little box that said, say yes or check yes or check no. Like you wait for that to come back when you're worshiping. If you're not waiting for it to come back with the yes box checks, what are you doing? He's the God who speaks. When we open the word of God, it's about learning his cadence. It's about looking at how he speaks. It's about looking like, how does he structure his sentences? How does he write his letters to me? Those same letters that we sent back and forth to each other, right? You know the person. You know how they write and how they think and what they're trying to say to you and what response they're trying. When I open the word of God, it's like I'm learning him. Not just so I can read it better, so that when I walk into a worship service or I walk into a prayer service and he begins to speak, I'm like, I, I know that's you, because I know that's you. Do you serve the God who speaks? Is there substance and evidence right now, not just an authorship and a finishing? John chapter 6, verse 41 says, the Jews complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The amount of times that this passage says that Jesus said is astonishing. Read it for yourself again. Jesus said this, Jesus said that, then he said this, and then he said that. He's speaking to people. He's the God who speaks. somebody say amen. amen. Good thing it's not mission easy or difficult. <laughs> He's saying, I am the bread of life. Without me, you're going to die. Your fathers, although they came out at the word of God, all they came out and going in the direction of God and God rained down miraculous bread from heaven, that's not what it's all about. You've got to keep looking at me. I have something more for you. I have something deeper for you. See, if we fix our eyes upon Jesus, and if we press in, we can begin to receive what he's offering for us to enter into. Think about how many people probably just heard him say that, and they're like, nah, that ain't for me, and I'm out. <laughs> but how many of us need to not just read that word and, and come back to it and say, what are you saying, God? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to enter into? What do you mean you're the bread of life? What do you mean what we've been experiencing for hundreds of years as a people is old and passing away and there's something new that I have to enter into? Jesus is asking us to put our faith in him. And he's promising that if we do, we'll live forever. That's what he's telling these people. He's like, you've got to put your faith in me. You've got to just lose faith in everything else. Even everything that got you as far as you are today. It was that manna from heaven, and it was that word from God that got them out of Egypt and into the promised land, that got them to have their own temple, that got them to have their own nation, that got them to have their own... All of that led to where they are, and Jesus is saying, listen, everything that's happened so far, you got you to gotta take all the faith out of that and put all the faith in me now. I now become the bread of life for you. That's difficult. Everything that got your family to where it is now, you got to stop and put all that faith in Jesus from here forward. Everything that held your relationship together and, and made it last this long, you got to stop and put all that faith in Jesus now. Every, every piece of education that you got that got you the job that you've got, you got to stop and put all that faith in Jesus now. That's mission difficult. But he's calling us. Verse 44 of this scripture, Jesus says, no one, who, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He's saying, you won't come to me. You won't ask for help. You won't lay down your faith and other things and put it in, into me unless the Father is drawing you to me. I want to share with you this morning that I believe that the drawing of God and the call of God is a continuous call. When God spoke and he said, let there be light, how many have read that before? You got that far in your Bible, amen? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. When I say it's a continuous call, look at what God did. He didn't say, let there be light, and then like a flicker went on, right? He said, let there be light, and ever since he spoke that word, the word continues to go forward. 
When you woke up this morning, the sun was still shining, not because of the laws of nature, but because the word of God is immutable. It's as if he said it once, let there be light, but every second of every day thereafter, he is still saying, let there be light, 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 let there be light. There is a sun in heaven, there is a moon in the heavens, and they are constantly providing the light from the word that God spoke. He's consistently speaking that word into a continuous existence. When God calls us unto Jesus... It's not a momentary call. Every year, every month, every day, every hour, every minute, and every second, it's a continuous call. That same call that awoke in your spirit, that said God is real and Jesus is real and I can be saved and I'm a sinner that needs to be saved, it's not just the author and the finisher of that work. What he's saying is, every second, I'm still calling you to him. That first call of come to Jesus, every day it's come to Jesus, 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 come to Jesus. He's saying fix your eyes on him. Not once, not once a week. Fix your eyes on him, fix your eyes on him. Imagine if you look at your life, your daily life and your faith, all those things as how easy it is to lose sight of Jesus because of the stuff we have going on, and then you hear that word, fix your eyes on me, and you come back. Oh yeah, Lord, you're here. Substance, evidence, today, right now, this situation, this circumstance, you're calling me to fix my eyes on you. See, Jesus is a living hope. He's an active faith. When we talk about faithfulness, break it down, faithfulness. Fullness of faith. Jesus is all those things. It's active. It's real. It's day by day. It's moment by moment. It's frustration on Friday night and joy in the morning on Saturday morning. So when Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he actually is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is not pleased in how much you can talk about having faith. God is not pleased in how many scriptures you can remember. God is not pleased in how many services you can attend. God is pleased when you say, I'm fixing my eyes on you. I believe that you are and that you exist. I believe that the call to come to you is a daily call. And I want to experience your love and your faith and your power and your ability today. That pleases God. He says, I will reward you for diligently seeking me like that. The rewards aren't for coming to him once or coming to him when you're in trouble all the time. The rewards are for diligently seeking him. Every day, finding an opportunity to fix your eyes back upon Jesus. God is pleased when the power of his son is alive and active in your life. So I want to look at an Old Testament story and the New Testament fulfillment, and we'll bring this down to a close this morning. This is Numbers chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The king of Arid, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoner. The same thing happens to us. When you read the Old Testament, think of um, obviously the New Testament and how it's fulfilled, but also our lives. Like, we are not Israel, Israel is Israel. Um, but the church has a lot of similarities, right? So it says that the, the enemy king fought against them and took some of them prisoner. I know a lot of Christians that have been taken captive, that are, who are prisoners of the enemy right now. That's what's taking place here. Took some of them prisoners, and Israel made a vow to the Lord, and they said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel, and he delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God. And they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul lulls with this worthless bread. 
You remember when you first had living water, how good it was? You remember when you first heard like a message and you first experienced worship and how good it was? You were coming out of death and into life, out of Egypt and into the promised land. And how long does it take before you're like, oh, this message sucks? That worship team needs a practice. <laughs> this manna that it's falling from heaven, but it's worthless bread. I don't even like this manna. Gary making this bread. Put some honey in it. <laughs> that's how we begin to act, and that's what's happening to them. It says that they went back through the Red Sea and around Edom. It's like God is even showing them, look what I brought you from. Look what we've done. Look what I've done for you. And they begin to complain against God, and they begin to complain against their leader, Moses. And they say, why you bring us out here? Why you bring us out here to die? We should have just stayed in Egypt, in sin and in bondage as prisoners. We were happier then than we are now in the church. I love the Old Testament. <laughs> they said to him, there's no food, there's no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came back to Moses. They said, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord, and we've spoken against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So he's got all these people, these snakes are biting them, and they're dying. And they're like, we're wrong. We're dying because of our own sin. We're dying because of our turning our eyes and our hearts away from God and back to our past. And it's killing us. Moses, help us. Pray for us. God answers the prayers, and he says, all right, make a serpent bronze serpent, put on a pole, lift it up. If people will look at that after they've been bitten and they recognize that they're hurting and that they're dying, he says, I'll heal them. Look at this picture and see if, if uh, you can know where it comes from. This, this is a, a serpent on a pole. That's the World Health Organization. That's every ambulance that you see drive by you. What it's saying is we are hurting, we are sick, and we know how to be healed, which is focusing our attention on God who can heal us. But we can't say in God we trust. We can't talk about the Lord. See, we got to stop being convinced that the world can get loud and they can say whatever they want to say, but they know the truth. The Bible tells you that all of us are without excuse. Before we came to Christ, we already knew that God was real, just like they do. So here's this serpent. Lift it up. Because the Bible says that you've got to turn back to God and he's going to provide our healing, right? So this is John chapter 3. That was the Old Testament. Say old. old. Now the New Testament. Say new. new. John 3.14 says this. Jesus says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen to what Jesus is saying. They were hurting, they were dying. Was it their own fault? Yes, but they were still hurting and they were still dying and they turned to me. They lifted up a serpent on a pole, and as they gazed upon it, they were healed. Jesus is saying the same way that they lifted up this serpent on this pole, and they looked at it, they focused on it, they were healed. Listen, he says, I have to be lifted up, and if you fix your eyes on me, you'll be healed. You'll have eternal life. You'll overcome every difficult situation that you experience. How are you going to do it? Not by self-help, not by three steps to success, but by fixing your eyes on me, getting them off of your situation, Amen. off of your difficulty, off of your anger, off of your depression, off of your anxiety, and fix your eyes on me. Lift me up. Amen. Obedience. Do you believe he can heal? Or is faith just a word? Do you believe that he'll fix your situation? 
Will you be obedient when he says, stop crying about it. Stop focusing on it. Stop trying to fix it yourself. I know it's there and you know it's there. Will you be obedient enough to say, fix your eyes on me? Even if I don't want to talk to you about that. What a word we heard from Gary this morning. I came in with a list of things I wanted to talk to God about. He's like, all right, I'm glad you're here because obviously you want to fix your eyes upon me, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. The biggest thing in your life, what if God's like, oh, that's, I understand, but I don't want to talk about that. Amen. Fix your eyes on me. Can we lift Jesus up above our circumstances? Do we believe that that will be the reason our lives are turned around? John 12, 26, Jesus again says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is in the situation you're in. Hardest time of his life. Can't see a way out. All that it looks like is death and destruction. And what does Jesus say? He says, listen, what am I supposed to do? Father, change it. Father, fix it for me. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason I'm here. And he says this, Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it, they said it was as if it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. The God who speaks for us. Jesus is like, I already know him. And I already know what he's going to do. And I speak to him every day. So the voice you heard is not for me, it's for you. He wants you to know that he's the God who speaks and that you can hear him. Now is the judgment of this world, Jesus says. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. The serpent lifted up for people to see. Jesus says, I got to be lifted up. He says, if I, if I get lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. I'll bring them where they can find healing. I'll bring them to where they can find deliverance. I'll bring them to where they can find hope. I'll bring them to where they can find victory. We sang a song this morning. I heard everybody shouting it out. King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. Remember we talked about experience versus truth and experience? If you're just singing it because it's a nice little catchy song, right? I mean, King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. Like, that's all good. But if you're saying, King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. Because when we lift you high, we focus our gaze upon you, just like Moses with the rod and the snake on it. And they lifted it high and they found King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. You're the one I'm looking at. As I gaze upon you, I forget about my anger. I forget about what's been done to me. And I realize what's been done to you. I realize that from your pain and suffering, life and love and joy has flooded the earth. And from my pain and suffering, maybe life and joy will come flooding in as I focus upon you. Amen. I don't want to sing songs. I want to worship the king. I don't want to have empty words, even if they sound good. I want to cry out to the one who wants to check yes when he hears <laughs> what I have to say. I don't need self-help. I need faith. I need to believe that if I fix my eyes on him, he will fix everything else. We've all heard that the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains, but not many of us know how. We say it, we hear it, we quote it, we like it when somebody posts a picture of it on Facebook. That's right, I like that. Faith of a mustard seed. What does that have to, is that real for you? Is that active in your life? Have you ever seen it actually do something for you? then don't hit like. <laughs> Here's what it means. 
if you can begin to see Jesus, if you can begin to lift him up, right? Here's a picture that I want you to see of Jesus this morning. You gaze up at him and he says, hey, can you see me? Have I been illuminated? You see me? And he says, I'm the one that spoke the mountains into existence. After I said, let there be light, I said, let there be land and plants. I said, let there be water. Those mountains that exist out there, they only exist because I spoke them into existence. He says, can you see me like that? Like, do you really see me as my voice commands things into existence? And then he says to you, okay, now I live in you. Now I live in you. How can the faith of a mustard seed move mountains? Because when you see me as the one who spoke them into existence, and then you, rel- you trust and believe that I live in you, we, you and I, can speak them out of your way. We can move them out of your way. Any mountain in your life can be moved when you fix your eyes upon me and see me for who I am, then you'll see yourself for who you are, and then there is no mountain that is immovable. There is no problem that is unfixable. There is no circumstance that you cannot overcome. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said to them, it's because your unbelief. But assuredly, I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Man, fix your eyes on Jesus. Nothing will be impossible for us. We become the impossible mission force. (laughs) Impossible mountain-moving faith is what we end up with. Not just name it and claim it, not just crazy Christians, not just saying stuff for the sake of saying it, knowing that what you're posting is not what you're experiencing. (laughs) Like, no! It can be real. It can be strong. When they say it's a peace that surpasses understanding, when they say like they look at these Christians and say, how are you joyful when your life, it looks terrible. And we can be able to say it's because I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. <laughs> I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Worship team, would you come? Just close your eyes and begin to fix them on Jesus. Your eyes are closed, but hopefully your heart is open. Your spirit is open. The God who speaks wants to speak to you this morning. The one who spoke light into the world. The one who authored and finished your faith and your salvation. He's alive this morning. He's still speaking this morning. He's still wanting people to listen and people to hear. He still wants to be lifted up in your life. He wants to draw you in and draw you closer to him. He has something for you. And it's not just the beginning and your salvation and coming to faith. And it's not just the end where he's going to usher you into the place he prepared for you in heaven. Right here, right now, this morning, he has a word for you. He'll start just like those letters where you would write that person's name. Just in case it fell into the wrong hands, you want to make sure these words are for this person. When the Lord speaks, it's not a group conversation. It's not just the word that anybody could pick up and receive. What he's saying is, this is addressed to you. It has your name on it. I was thinking about you when I said it and when I wrote it. That's the word he wants you to receive this morning. It has substance. It has evidence that who you are and where you are and what you're going through and what you're experiencing. It's not just apply these principles to it. No, God says, I want to say something to you. I want to talk to you. I want to walk with you. I want to hold your hand. I want to be in your situations and circumstances. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to receive communion. But first, the word he spoke in John chapter 3 was about salvation. You heard a little bit of it earlier. I want to share it again. You can just keep your heads bowed in prayer. These words might sound a little familiar, but look what they, look what they are a part of. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, John 3.16 about the love of God and him sending his son to die that we wouldn't have to die, that we could have everlasting life. It comes on the back end of a scripture that says you got to lift him up first, though. Your salvation comes when you lift up Jesus in your life and say it's no longer about my situation. It's no longer even about my sin. It's about Jesus. He can save me. He can heal me. He can forgive me. And he can give me eternal life. It's not the title Christianity. It's not the title of church. It's about finally seeing and letting Jesus be lifted up in your life. If you're here, heads bowed, eyes closed, between you and the Lord, I just want to see you so that we can pray for you. If you know about him like many did when he walked the earth, if you've seen his hand in situations and circumstances like many did when he walked the earth, but you can honestly say this morning, You've never lifted him up and said, you are King Jesus. The name that I'm lifting high, save me, forgive me, help me. Nothing else matters. Let today be the day that you do that. Lift him up in your life. Let him be King. Let him be Lord. Let him save you and forgive you. And then begin to walk in real faith. If that's you, you've never done that. You want to do that this morning. Just raise your hand. We can pray for you. Hallelujah, Lord. King Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond to this word. These are the words of Jesus in Mark 10. Jesus stood still. And he commanded a man to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. Jesus is calling you. <laughs> Throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Where you sit this morning, just consider, like I said earlier, if he said, let there be light, and there was light, and light continues because that call continues, I wonder if any of you this morning can see yourself like this man. You're here and you're already saved, which means Jesus has already called you and you've already answered. But this morning, can you hear him continuing to call you? It says that this man heard the call that Jesus was calling him. He threw off his garment. He didn't care who he had to pass. He didn't care who he bumped into. He was blind. But he said, I hear the call and I'm going. The call is for me. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And when he got to the Lord, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. I want to see. Jesus said, your faith has made you well, and he, he could see. As we open the altars this morning, here's, here's the call. If you're here, and you want to see Jesus high and lifted up in your life, you want the blindness that keeps you focused on the low, and keeps you focused on your problems, and keeps you focused on... Uh, difficulty, struggle, strife, anxiety, fear, depression, bitterness, anger, whatever it is. I just really feel like God is saying, come to me, I'm calling you, but I want to give you sight. I want you to be able to see me high and lifted up in your life, reigning supreme over all of your situations and your circumstances. Just like this blind man came and he wanted that kind of sight, if that's you this morning, we're going to open the altars, and I believe God will give it to you. If you hear him calling you, 
Would you just stand and come to the altar? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for an opportunity to receive communion, Lord. As we come from prayer, for prayer, Lord, would you be high and lifted up? Would you reveal yourself? Would you be illuminated, Lord? Would you focus our attention upon you? Would you give us eyes that can see what you desire for us to see? Would you turn our lives around in this very moment, in this very place? As we receive communion, Lord God, would you remind us, Lord, as you said in John chapter 6, that you are the bread of life, that we have to receive you and we can have eternal life, that the things of the past and the manna of the past, Lord, that it will not sustain, but your life will give us eternal life, Lord. We receive your body, we receive uh, your blood this morning that washes us and that sustains us, Lord, in communion, God. Take us where you would have us to go. Give us faith that moves mountains. We love you this morning and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.